Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me for this episode. We record them here in Sydney, Australia and Zoom them all around the wide world web thanks to iTunes and Stitcher and Libsyn or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, speaking of podcasts, last week, of course, we spoke to Greg Mara, who is an amazing guitar player with a great career, but he's also started a new podcast called the Iconoclast Music Podcast, and it's been great. I've been listening to a few more episodes this week, so uh, yeah, I can't recommend enough that you check that out. Now, my guest today is Perry Ormsby from Ormsby Guitars, based in Perth in Western Australia. Perry's been making amazing custom guitars for the last 10 or so years and in the last couple of years has expanded that production to make a uh, an offshore range which is doing amazing things for his company. I'm not sure why it is but I'm always fascinated by how people build up businesses and companies. I'm, I'm not business minded myself at all in the slightest but I love hearing um, yeah the journeys, the, the mistakes, the, the successes, the redefining and listening to Perry talk is um, is amazing. The risk taking, all that kind of thing. I've had some great guitar companies come on the podcast. Australian companies like Mayton, uh, Charles Cilia Guitars here in Sydney doing amazing things. I play a Pat Keegan guitar, so it was great to have Pat on the show. And now to have Perry is awesome. So hey, I hope you enjoy this interview with Perry Ormsby from Ormsby Guitars. Perry Ormsby, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for having me. Mate, great to have you. You sound like you've been super busy. You've just gotten back from NAMM and uh, back to work, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, um, got back from NAMM. So NAMM finished up, I think, uh, the 22nd or the 23rd of January, and we got back on, I think, the 3rd of February. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what's today? The 15th, I yep. guess. So, yeah, been back for two weeks and um, stuck, you know, straight back into it. Um yeah, there's always that mad rush before Nam, mm-hmm. yeah. And then when you get back, it's like, oh, great, we don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. And it's like, oh no, nah, because we've got all the stuff that we had to put to the side to <laughs> yep. to get onto the Nam stuff. So it's it's sure. just nuts. It's just there's no break. Um, it, it just it's constant, which is really cool because I'd rather be busy than not busy. And you know, even if we weren't busy, I'd be finding stuff to do, but. Yeah, it's it's nonstop. It's the last couple of years have been, you know, I've always been busy, um, really ever since I first started uh, twelve years ago. But you know, I'm that sort of guy that would rather work than than not work. Sure, um, sure. And I'll find things to do, and I'll make sure that I've got work to do, and and really proactive like that. But um, the last couple of years has just gone to another level. Yeah, wow. And I've been trying to do less hours. Um, it's it's working okay, but um, you know we still do the same amount of like physical labour hours, but it's the time after work and before work that is is limited. You know, sure. if you'd asked me a year ago what sort of hours, mate, I'd be up at five and I'd get home at five, and I'd email till ten. You know, wow, um, that's massive. Now I I try and uh, you know, not do those hours because it's not good for you yeah sure sure <clears throat> and you know it's that hard work that gets you to the point where you can sort of actually take a little bit more of a break as well you know yeah we can definitely. pick and choose what we want to do now that's a great position to be in what if we go back yeah. then um to okay. the beginning you said say 12 or so years ago I, yep. i've read you've got a background in carpentry how did you move from that into guitar building okay so in school i loved woodwork uh-huh. uh, even before school i i you know it was uh i'd go into my you know granddad's shed and and build little things you know what i mean nothing important nothing special just just cutting bits of wood and gluing bits of wood and all that kinds of stuff and you know as you any 14 year old or whatever would do yeah um decided i really loved woodwork so much i actually would go in before school and my woodwork teacher would let me make stuff which was really cool and then during the class because i finished my work I'd do the woodwork pro, uh, projects for one of the girls that was in the class because I thought, oh, yeah, you know, she'll really like me. <laughs> and 
all it did was give her an opportunity to go and talk to all the other guys. So it's, <laughs> it didn't really work. And it took me about a year to work that out. Um, but yeah, from there, um, that was in year 10. And then year 11, I wanted to do woodwork again. And they're like, well, we've only got two people that want to do it. So we're not going to do it. And I was devastated. So I did uh, night school, TAFE night school, uh, just woodwork, general woodwork. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, which was cool. Um, and then from there, I decided that school's not really my thing and I don't need year 12 to be a carpenter. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I enrolled in TAFE, did a pre-apprenticeship in carpentry and joinery. Uh, that's one year of full-time studies. Okay, um, cool. And then that, that supposedly gives you a year off your apprenticeship, if you know what I mean, once you get a job. Great. So, great. yeah, straight out of that, got a job um, working as a roof carpenter. And realized pretty quickly that um, this is not what I want to do. It, it's carpentry is actually it, like the pre-apprenticeship carpentry and joining. You'd still be making boxes and dovetail joins and, and furniture and you'd make little scale models of houses so that you can kind of see how it all goes together, you know, about the size of a dog kennel okay. scaled. Um, but, but there was still that furniture aspect of it and the fine woodworking side of things. Um, but of course being a roof carpenter, it's man, if you cut that bit of wood and it's, you know, 10, 10 mil too long, don't worry about it. It's fine. Or if it's got a 10 mil gap, don't worry about it. It's fine. Sure. sure. Um, it, there was just n- nothing there that made my brain sort of attracted to it. Um, but I stuck with it and, uh, finished off all of the theory side of things. So I still went to TAFE as you would do normally as an apprentice. Got my trade certificate, uh, finished up that apprenticeship, I think, a year and four months early um, because of my grades. And then the very next day after getting my trade certificate, I started again doing cabinet making. And that was much, much more suited to what I wanted to do. I was careful with my employer this time. I I decided to, you know, I wasn't going to get into somewhere that just did woodwork. I wanted somewhere that did stuff that was interesting. And found a little cabinet shop that that made, you know, they did the normal kitchens and stuff like that. Um, But also they would do a lot of solid timber work or they might do the fancy, you know, there might be a government tender for reception desks for a new private hospital or whatever it is. Um, But they get some of those interesting jobs. And the good thing was that some of the other guys that worked there weren't interested in doing that work. So that'd get given to me. Okay. Um, So I'd be making, you know, big curved reception desks out of, uh, you know, elm burl and uh, maple burls and, and all sorts of stuff like that. And, yeah, or it might be just a coffee table that has a projector screen, uh, projector thing inside it that pops up on a mechanical runner and I'd have to work out how to do it, you know. And okay, that cool. was my apprenticeship, you know. Yeah. And, um Finished that off. I got two years, I think, cut off that apprenticeship once again because I had the prior learning and, and also the grades. Excellent. Um, and actually got um, – I didn't realize this actually at the time. Like, I did pretty well and I absolutely loved what I was doing. There, there was no other thing on earth that I wanted to do, you know what I mean? Um, but it wasn't until maybe five years ago that I went to one of the careers expos and I saw my old TAFE lecturer and he's like, Oh, you're the guy that got the top marks in the state. And I'm like, Oh, did I, you know, like I knew I did well, I got <laughs> nominated for apprentice of the year and stuff, but I didn't really, I didn't even feel it bother filling in the forms. You know what I mean? Like you got to fill in the form to, to proceed. And I'm like, yeah, I yeah. can't be bothered. I'm just doing my job, you know? Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I actually went back and saw, I found all my old reports and I got 96% average for the year. Wow. And at the time, I never even bothered to look. You know, I knew I'd passed. I just didn't, wasn't interested. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It right. didn't matter to me what the grades were. I just had the coolest job on earth, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. And that actually got us, um, you know, a few years ago when I wanted to have an apprentice, they're like, no, nah, you can't have an apprentice guitar maker. There's no such thing. And got all these roadblocks and eventually I just rang up my old lecturer and said, I want to do this. And he's like, mate, I, excellent. We'll make it happen because there's no one really that has any training anymore because they're all learning to build cabinets with melamine and chipboard and no one knows how to do a dovetail anymore. And 
we really want people to learn that sort of stuff. So we're definitely going to have a woodwork-based apprenticeship, even if it's not cabinet-making. We'll just make it cabinet-making and convert it across to guitar-making. So we're able to get that through. That's um, brilliant. That's which so is good. cool. Yeah, nice. But, but there's so much red tape. I okay. don't know that I'd, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of red tape. We've got two apprentices now, but um, I don't know if we want to do it again because of the amount of red tape okay is this too difficult to employ someone like that on that sort of system now you know sure sure um but yeah so i can't even remember what the question was so we're talking about so you're into fine carpentry and doing really great loving it how when did you um end up turning to guitars using these skills to make instruments all right so um cabinet making was great and then i realized you know i'm never going to get anywhere in my life on these wages and I got offered a dollar extra an hour to go and work on a, at another cabinet shop working <laughs> on a computer. And I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. I sit in air conditioning all day and I get a dollar an hour more. Yeah. That's like 38 bucks a week. Um, so I took it <laughs> and I learned computer-aided, uh, not not CAD, but uh, 3D computer modeling. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was kind of CAD, but it's not really. Um, but it would. my role was to do quotes and production, run the production floor. So I'd have to order all the materials teach the guys on the floor what they're building and then produce the cutting lists and make sure everything. So I'd do the scheduling and, and handle the production. Hmm. And um, that was pretty cool for a while. And then I got offered another job doing the same thing for a lot more money. And it's like, yeah, that's really cool. And I just developed all these systems to make it so much more efficient. So I didn't have to work because by this time I wasn't loving my job, you know. Sure. I was I was missing the chisels. Yeah, right. But, the actual work of it, yeah. Yeah. So I was I was I was the worst employee. I'd, I'd go out of my way to do nothing. Um, so I've developed all these ways that I can make my job more streamlined and not actually do anything. And of course, that meant my hours dropped. And then one day I realised that man, I'm just wasting my life. You know, I would, I would, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I, 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 I'd made my first guitar by that point just as a, um, you know, just as a, as a hobby kind of thing. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, cause I was just so keen to do some woodwork of some sort and, and made that. And I had a couple of people that were like, oh yeah, you know, can you make me one of them? So I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that'd be great. That'd be, that'd be a pretty cool job. Nice. So and, early on, people were, were picking up the you Oh mate, I yeah. Well, I built the first guitar, and I and I I guess the term blog wasn't used back then, but it was I guess a blog. It was just like a little diary that I'd update every three days of what I was doing, and some people saw it, and I was posting on some guitar making groups and stuff like that. And I had a bit of obviously had the woodwork background, so I was able to get involved and sort of talk about what I knew and what I was bringing across to guitar making from a cabinet making perspective yeah cool um so i guess there were a few people that were like okay well this guy knows how to use a router you know and 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 whatever but yeah some guy just from florida actually messaged me one day and said oh you know how much would something like that cost and i'm like i don't know you know i don't really do this for a living but i'd love to you know and i think i put the address on the website because i wanted to make it look like I was a guitar maker yeah. <laughs> and uh, and this money order rocked up in the mail from wow. Florida with a thousand bucks and it's like a little note I hope this is enough to of a deposit but if you need more let me know wow um yeah but I kind of like that made me think maybe maybe this is a thing you know um and I don't know maybe a month later I'd started my second guitar and i thought i, I told this guy i oh, yeah look it's going to take a year because i'm really busy you know and i thought that's going to give me heaps of time to make another bunch of guitars and then really hone my skills a bit more and um yeah then i'll build his you know okay yep. um and as any guitar maker starting out they're so excited to get their first order you know it's the yeah. biggest thing on, on earth Fantastic. you know um but yeah i i was sitting there one day and i'd I decided I wasn't going to work that day and I was counting how many drawings I'd done for my employer over the last five years. And I, you know, I counted 1800 kitchen designs and I'm just like, this is, <laughs> this is bad. You know, I hate this job. 
and I just I decided I'll spend another afternoon writing a resignation letter because that's what I did when I was bored. I'd, I'd write it all out on paper and it'll make me feel better, you know. <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend at the time it rang up and, and said, oh, you know how you want to quit your job? And, it's, and I'm like, yeah. She's like, I just got a pay rise of $27,000 a year. Wow. And I was I was earning 28000 a year at the time. And she said, if you want to quit your job, just quit your job. So I did. I wow. already had. I was in the middle of writing another one of my fake uh, resignation <laughs> letters, and I, all I did was just qu- I, I quickly typed up the last couple of lines and printed it out and handed it to my boss and said, "I'll see you later." And that's when I realised, oh, what am I doing? You know. And I actually came in for three days straight after that to clean out my desk because it took me so long to because I didn't want to leave after that. You know what I mean? I was, it was like George Costanza going yes. out on the big, you know, and then realizing oh, maybe no one will notice. But at that time, my parents had bought a factory unit to store their caravans that they used to hire out. Okay. And there was a little office, right? There was an office space there. And I'd already decided that I'm going to take over this factory unit and rebuild a car. So I'd, I'd kind of already grabbed the office and I'd put some workbenches in there so of course i had this little space and i said to my folks you know do you reckon i can just do some woodwork and stuff and they're like yeah no worries and it just went from there um i within the first week at one of the local stores i was friendly with the guitar tech and he's like oh we've got a broken headstock do you reckon you can fix it how do you do it and i'm like oh yeah i know what i'm doing fix it up lacquered it did a beautiful job they used that on their website as an example of the work that they can do Uh um and then it just went from there. Anything that needed a power tool, they would send to me. And, you know, it took a year to start getting a bit of a name out there for repairs and stuff. But there weren't a lot of guys out there. There was only three guys in Perth doing it. Okay. So it was quite easy. One guy had semi-retired recently. So there was that workload that could be taken on. And, you know, I'd just book jobs in and if I needed help, I'd, I'd contact someone to give me a hand you know what i mean and most of the time you'd you'd get a no i'm not helping you or sometimes you would get a friendly person you know um but there was a lot of that competition where people were worried about someone new entering the market um but slowly and surely i built a name up for myself and we ended up doing a lot more repairs than anyone in the state um within a few years you know we were doing 30 40 guitars a week and at the and at the same time i'm building guitars yeah um you know i think i built a couple of guitars the first year and and maybe three or four the second year and and, and slowly up from there but of course the name starts to get out there a little bit and um you know we've got some international orders and that was really cool and that added a bit of prestige kind of thing and people like oh he sells guitars to america he must be good you know um And it just sort of went from there, Um, ended up, you know, outgrowing the little space that my parents gave me and um, sold my house because I thought I'm I'm not going to be able to get the machines I want Uh, because I don't, you kind of don't earn enough money, you know what I mean? So I'll sell my house. I was lucky to have a house. So I sold that and that gave me 55 grand and I spent half of that on machines and half of it went to rent for the next 18 months in 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 a decent factory unit and. Um, and that's when I realized, you know, this really actually can be a thing if we want it to be a thing. Um, and then it was a case of, okay, how do I make it a thing? You know, how, how do we actually become a, a brand? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And it did take me a, a quite a while to work that out because if you don't have money, you can't expand. And of course, as a luthier with a factory unit, which of course was probably the worst decision I ever made because most guys just work from home and there's, you know, no rent or, or no no business expenses or whatever. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, gotcha. we're forking out a couple of grand a month just in rent. And, you know, I, I took someone on to help me with repair work. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, after a year of that, I realized I'm paying him more wages than what he's earning for me. Yeah. So I was going backwards mm-hmm. and uh, it all turned around basically when I was given an opportunity by some friends to house sit for 18 months and part of their property, that they lived on a what's called a composite A, which is um, a, a, a residential area, but you're allowed to run 
a commercial or industrial business from the from the same block. Oh, okay. Yep. Great. And it's they're always on the it's it's the block of land in between a, uh, an industrial zone and a residential zone. So there's always one side of the street that's composite A, and they had a massive shed on there. And I'm like, do you mind if I work out of the shed? No, no. We've got a big, extensive muscle car collection, and we want you here twenty four seven looking after it, making awesome. sure no one steals them. So I'm like, great. I've got a so year of, at least of, of of no rent, and I can use that money and save up. So that's what I did. And, okay. and when's um, this, Perry? What year is this? That would have been two thousand and nine. Okay. So that's when I started to go right. This can be a thing. Uh, I, I I knew then that okay, the time's going to come where we have a proper proper business you know this isn't just some dude mucking around with guitars it's a proper thing and i can now see how it's going to happen because we've been given this opportunity and from there we've got a you know my my goal was get a house again and then pay it down as much as possible and then use the equity to expand and that's exactly what we did and that then in 2015 became the gdr series um that that all that time and was was put into that to make that a thing to to really push us to the next level and it and it has you know we've um it's been mind-blowing how um well received those guitars have been you know i know they're good but you kind of hope everyone else does as well Uh the response we've had has been phenomenal. That's brilliant. So just to, um, um, yeah. just to make clear, so you're essentially working as a custom shop doing one-off custom orders for that's a long right. time and your repairs. Yep. Now, your yes. GTR line, that's your production model yes. that's being yes. manufactured by, is it World Instruments, I think, in Korea? That's correct, in, in South Korea, yep. Awesome. And that's the same place that makes like PRS SE guitars, which are yes. beautifully built yep. guitars. Yep, um, the, sh- the, the, the high-end Schecters. Yeah. And the um, the more expensive LTDs as well. Okay, um, cool. And they're, they're, what I noticed, and, and, you know, I probably would never have been able to choose a factory if I didn't have the repair history. Okay. But, of course, 10 years of doing repairs uh-huh. and doing a lot of warranties for all of the companies as well, you start to see patterns of certain things like particular, like, like for example, Epiphones are built in numerous factories. Yeah, sure. And certain serial numbers they start off with maybe e or u or whatever um you'll notice that certain guitars have things always wrong with them or certain things are always done really really well Uh you know so it might be a 400 dollars guitar but they've done that part of it really well and you've then see 50 over the 50 of them over the next two years and you notice that same thing reoccurring and you kind of make a little mental note you know it goes into your memory but what I started to notice was that certain um, certain guitars would come in and they're coming in for a service, but they're not coming in for repairs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you, sure. as a repairer, you see lots of things like, oh, it needs a fret level or, you know, this sort of thing. Um, but there were certain brands that you just see a lot less of that and that the fit and finish was always seemed to be better value than what the guitar was worth. Yeah, right. And I just started a little logbook and... Any time that a guitar came in that I thought was really cool, I made notes about it, um, tried to work out the model number and the serial number and all that kind of stuff, and I'd just jot it down. And any guitars that were average, I'd write them down. And any guitars that were really kind of not very good at all, I'd write them down. And what that gave me was three different categories. And then from there, I go, right, the really good stuff, Where who's making all this stuff? And that's when we realized that 90% of those guitars that I was writing down were good mm-hmm. were coming out of world music. Wow, and cool. then we have to find world music, which is not as easy as you think. They don't, <laughs> they don't advertise. They don't sell to direct to people. They don't, they don't have a website. They don't okay. have a phone number listed anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So it took a bit of time to find them. Um, and then it took time to work together with them on bringing together a model you know what i mean um and that whole process of right we're going ahead with this to now we can tell the public about this was about a year uh maybe it was probably 18 months actually um there was a lot of planning beforehand but once we went ahead we did hit some snags the the whole management team um well the, the 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 bulk of the management team had some 
issues and, and were you know removed from the business right as our stuff was going into production oh, okay wow and that w- was a nightmare you know because i've got all of a sudden a couple of hundred clients that are all anxious on this new project that okay. i've spent two years working on and then Far management out. tells me that they've left and it didn't go too well and there's <laughs> going to be lots of legal action but come with us to this new factory we're starting um it's it, it literally that happened three days before our production was to oh start and that i was going to fly in to watch it all happen okay um right. in the end it's all been fine the, the good people stayed and they um you know that they, they've rebuilt from then um it was a little bit of a i guess a dark time in their history i guess but um they're they're even better now than what they were a couple of years ago it's it's crazy uh, to be working with them and I, I feel really, really privileged. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's something that we, in my hopes and dreams, I didn't dream this big, you know, yeah. um, and to see it all come together and, and now we're getting the opportunities that we, we are getting as a company. Um, it's, it's really amazing, you know, That's brilliant. and, 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 uh, you know, I always say, if you want something, just go for it. And, and, you know, I, I did actually do that, and and it's testament that if you want something bad enough, just go out and get it. You know, um, whether that's tuition or, or a career or goals in life, you know, sure, you put your put your head down and ass up and go for it. You know, that's great. That's awesome. This is, I mean, there's plenty of great guitar builders in Australia, and um, but I I can't I can't think of any. There might be some you might know, but I can't think of anyone who is actually decide to to put together a high quality offshore line and um yeah go to all the work to um yeah take their company to that sort of level beyond beyond a sort of a custom shop or working out of a garage or working out of a, a small yep. factory I, I look i speak to a lot of guitar makers you know every year for the last 10 or 12 years we have traveled overseas and i always make a point of going to meet who is local to that area that we're going to. So whether that's New York or mm-hmm. Cleveland or LA or Italy or wherever, I, I like to go and visit and see and talk to people, right? And and just because I'm, I'm still a guitar nerd, right? So I see and speak to a lot of luthiers. And we've also, you know, with our guitar making courses over the years, trained a lot of people, over 150 guys, oh, trained wow. them how to build guitars. Um, so I speak to a lot of these guys and a lot of these luthiers look up to us because we, we're doing something a little bit different than strat knockoffs and mm-hmm. telly knockoffs and stuff like that. So we get a lot of communication and I think that there's this mentality that if you're a guitar maker, the best way to make a million bucks is to start off with an inheritance of two million and just blow <laughs> a million on wood. Yeah, just knock it off. And if you if you go to any guitar forums and you you ask the question, uh, I would love to be a guitar maker. Can you tell me if, if there's a way to make money doing this? It's ninety five percent negative. And you know I've been at this for thirty years. You know I'm glad I never quit my job. Um, you know blah 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 yeah, blah. Yeah right sure. But I think a lot of luthiers have an artist's perspective yeah rather than a business perspective sure if yeah. you know what i mean like i look at it and you know i i feel as though i'm a little bit of an artist kind of thing but at the same time i feel i'm a little bit more grounded with cash flow and you know what is the goal here mm-hmm. like we have two year goals we have one year goals six month goal nine months goals uh three months one month two week one week you know what i mean so we know what our goals are for all those periods most of the time. Um, and I don't think a lot of guitar makers are like that. They're just like, well, we're hoping the next job comes in. But they're not doing much about it. Um, and that's a, 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 a mindset thing. You know what I mean? Um, some guys are happy to stay in a, the one job for their entire working life. Other guys want to progress up the corporate ladder. Or, you know, it's different. People have different goals and wants and needs and stuff like that and sure. for me I, I decided man i want to it's more i just want to prove that prove some people wrong i want i want to prove to people that wrong that that said i could never do it or that there's no way you can really get anywhere 
as a guitar maker in life. You know what I mean? You'll always be uh, driving an old car and renting a home. And I want to, I want, I want something bigger than that. You know, and I think that I can do it. So why not give it a go? Give it a and if it doesn't work out. Well, at least I get some cool stories from when I'm telling the grandkids. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's great, man. That's it's, awesome. It's, it's you know, it's it's like any, it's almost like bands as well. You you see bands and oh, some of them like, yeah, yeah. It's the guys that treat it like it's a business, and that they they, it's not that they're getting into it to make money. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're considering what they're doing is potentially a business rather than a hobby, and pushing it in that direction and knowing that they need a publicist and knowing that they need a manager and knowing that they need to have this amount of money before they can do this type of tour or, or knowing that this type of merch sells, knowing how to market that merch and encourage people to buy some to help pay for the flights. And it's those guys that always seem to be more successful than there's more stories like that than there are of some guy just getting picked up being a busker on the side of the street yeah, and he gets absolutely. offered a million dollar deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It, it, you, you've got to go out and you've got to want it. And and from my experience, it's the guys that when there's a band that is has that mindset and there's two members that are like that, they're, they're going to get somewhere. And, and you know what I mean? It may not be a platinum record sales, but they're going to have at least got closer than the people that, you know, complain about the cost of rehearsal space. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Just that fingers crossed um, versus having a very definite plan. And... Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I can't play me guitar because I've got my fingers crossed. You know, <laughs> it's. It, I, I just think you know, if you've got an idea and a dream, yeah, mate, mate, do whatever you can to make it happen. My, you know, my parents, um, they've always run their business, so I come from that perspective where mm-hmm. that's all I've ever seen is that they run their own business and they make their own way and, and they don't rely on anyone to provide them with their living. And, you know, um, and, and I kind of, I kind of like that. Kind of picked you know? that up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's been drummed into me since I was one, you know, so it's, that that's how I don't know any different, you know? Yep. Awesome, man. That's, that's great. And it's totally true what you're saying. Like the musicians I talk to, there's a reason why they're getting a lot of work. It's because they're really good because they've worked really hard. They just weren't lucky That's and right. got a good gig. They were actually, even if they landed the good gig, they were um, they were good enough to back it up and also yeah, have look, the luck, business smarts to keep the career yeah, moving. Luck is absolutely a massive part of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and but the harder you work, the more chances are that you're going to get lucky, right? Absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's my view on it anyway. That's cool, man. That's so good. That's inspiring. I love it. Hey, uh, one of your might talk about some guitar design ideas. Sure. Um, yep. One of the most striking designs that is on a lot of your guitars, and I've got mm-hmm. the feeling you've you've talked about this a lot, um, yep. is the multi-scale system. Yep. Now, my first recollection of a guitar with this kind of idea was probably the Novax guitars in the nineties. Yep. But mm-hmm. I've actually read you came at it from a really different place. Could you explain that a little bit? Okay, so I had uh, one of the other reasons why I got into making guitars is because I'm a terrible guitar player, right? And even worse than that is I had RSI or carpal tunnel syndrome. So even when I was motivated to play, I, I, I literally couldn't for very long before my arm would be in a lot of pain. Um, but I still loved guitars. I'd, you know, I still all had all my guitars sitting in my room uh-huh. and, and, and out on display and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and of course, when I got into building guitars, I was like, oh, this is fucking great. I still get to be like a guitar guy. I just don't really, can't really play them very well. And, you know, but what, what happened was, um, I, I started to think of ideas of, you know, what, what can I do to make this work better? Oh, thinner necks, and that just made it worse. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's where I realized, oh, fatter neck actually helps me out with that. That's really cool. Uh-huh. Um, but then I saw, uh, I think it was a Rickenbacker, and it had angled frets. Oh, yeah. So yep. The, the nut was angled, maybe not as extreme as the nuts that we do. Sure. Um, but it was all the frets were still parallel to each other. Still, so it wasn't, yeah, okay, relative yeah, along right? the, whole, the whole body. Yeah, I've seen those I, ones. I think it was even a bass. I don't even think it was a guitar. I think okay. it was just a bass. Um, but I saw that and that made me think, oh, yeah, cool, you know, and that just sort of went in the in the bank. Um, and then I had a guy that wanted a baritone. And, of course, I don't know what a fucking baritone is. It's just, <laughs> you know, what is this thing? They're not really available uh, to buy. What is this? So I made him this baritone. I realized that 
man, if you tune that baritone with normal strings in E, that sounds amazing, uh-huh. right? Cool. And that's exactly what he wanted it for. He wanted this big sounding guitar. And I'm like, oh, cool, cool. And then one day I realized, you know, those two things, man, imagine that. That would look pretty cool. And then this client came back to me and said, oh, look, the baritone's really cool, but it's really hard to play solos on it because the strings are too tight and okay, yep. uh, and the frets are too far apart and, and the neck's longer and all that. And it just in my head, it just came up with this picture of this, this fanned arrangement. And I'm like, man, i got to do that. And this was all within a year of me building my first guitar or, or actually starting the business. Okay. Yep. Um, and from that point forwards, I did as much research as I could. I, I got out all my maths books from school and, and, and you know, did all the formulas <laughs> and wow, stuff cool. and realized this, this is actually going to work, but I don't have any money and I can't make a prototype. Um, and it's multiple scale links, so I'm going to call it a multi-scale. And I just had a drawings of it in the workshop and it wasn't until like a couple of years later, I was showing this guy and I'm like, oh, you should get a multi-scale, you know, hoping that someone will one day buy one. Um, and the guy's like, oh, that looks like Fan's Frets. And I'm like, oh, that's a heaps better name. So I got on Google. I'm like, Fan Fret guitars. Oh, someone's doing them. No, Novak's doing them. So I found wow. the patent. And yeah. um, his guitars were, at the time, a straight bridge fanning out to an angled nut. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. I, I looked at the patent and I worked out his method of doing them. And I'm like, man, this is all wrong. This this. To me, it was all wrong. It, it, it was just all the frets were going to a converging point, which is not going to help with intonation, um, you know, because I'd done all of the – I'd spent years redrawing this same thing, trying to make it perfect. Um, and that's when I thought, oh, well, at least I've now got a reference point. And I started asking around for people that had a Novak fan fret. And okay. a couple of people came forward and said, yeah, it's great. It feels good. Um doesn't intonate as well as my Strat. Oh, okay. So I kind of put it to the side for a couple of years and then came back to it and realized, you know, the way that I was laying out the frets was absolutely different and does actually improve intonation. Surely if I could just build this thing and once again, no one was interested and it wasn't until 2008 or 2009. Okay. Um, I had a client and he said, look, I tell you what, I'll pay for it. You build the prototype. If it's good, I keep it. If it's not, you just make me a normal guitar. I'm like, okay, well, basically that's two guitars for one. Yep, cool. I'll take that offer. Um, let's do it. And we built the first one. It came out mint. Um, and then from there, it was, I think we built a couple more late that year. Yeah. Um, took another nine months or something for someone else to buy one. And then six months and then three months and then, okay, now half of our orders are for multi-scales. Wow. Yep. And then it got to the point where I'm like, let's do a run of, a run of guitars and not even offer normal, sca- normal scales. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it just went from there. And now it is literally, uh, of all the customs we've got on order now, I think we've got two standard prep jobs. Yeah, yeah. And that's against how many multi-scales? We'll put it this way. We don't offer standard scale lengths on the GDR range at all. Oh, okay, um, yeah, wow. Uh, we did for one production run, yep. and I think we sold fifteen. Really? Wow! Versus four hundred and eighty-six. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you, when when you get down to it, you can buy a standard scale length guitar from a shop any day of the week yeah, in sure, any color. Sure. So for us, that's not a point of difference. Yeah. Um, but being multi scale is, um, and it. I love it. I think it works beautifully for our clients in the type of music they play. Because of the extended scale length, it has a higher tension for the strings. Mm-hmm. If you use the same strings, and obviously if you use standard strings, you can get even more tension. Um, and a lot of guys use fatter strings to get a bigger sound. And it's not necessarily the, the diameter of the string that gives you that bigger sound. It's the extra tension required okay. to get that thicker string to that same pitch. You know, so a 46 gauge tuned to E versus a 56 tuned to E, the 56 is going to be under a higher tension. Yeah, sure. It's also a bigger mass, but it's under a higher tension. But of course, the if you look at any other type of instrument, and I'm talking piano, harp, even a xylophone, a set of drums, 
um, a, a whistle even, um, a clarinet versus a, whatever's the bigger version of that or a smaller one would be, let's say, a recorder or a flute or whatever. If you want a bigger sound and a deeper bass, mm-hmm. you use a bigger object. Yeah, absolutely. You know, big symbols versus little symbols, um, pipe organs, um, you know, jump on the end of a hose and blow a sound down it. The longer that is, the deeper it sounds at the other end, you know, or the, or the you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, So absolutely. that's when yeah, I realised, cool. well, why are guitars about the only instrument where the bigger, fatter, bassier notes are not a bigger, fatter, bassier object? Like a longer you know? string, literally. Yeah. Well, a piano's you know I mean? got a longer bass end as exactly. well. Exactly. Look yeah. at a piano. Look at a harp. Which Put a piano on its end. It's a harp. Put a, um, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, a big trumpet versus a little trumpet or (laughs) I don't even know if they come in different sizes, but you know what I'm saying? Um, a bigger, big bass drum versus a a snare. Sure. Um, everything, everything, a big sheet, a big block of metal, hit it with a hammer versus a little block of metal and and hear the difference in sound. And, you know, that's when I realized, well, okay, not only... Uh, we're using a bigger object, but to tune to that same pitch, the longer the string is, the more tension you need. And it's the tension, which we worked out, is what gives you the nice tone. It's not the fatter strings and a wider section of string going through the magnetic field of the pickups. It's the higher tension sounds nicer. And that's why a grand piano sounds better than a baby grand piano. You know? And... um, why a big speaker sounds better than a little speaker for a subwoofer. You need a, that bigger object. So it all went from there and, and cool. just haven't looked back. You know, it's been, cra- it's been a crazy ride. We had a lot of, uh, a lot of guitar makers were very, um, I don't know why they felt the need that they needed to tell me I was going down the wrong direction, but they did, and, and I just stuck with it. I believed in it. Um, I'd done the research. I'd done the work, and, and now freaking everyone's doing them. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah, it's become um, almost ubiquitous yeah. for some yeah, range well, of guitars, yeah. Well, an example is um, last year, so 2016 at NAM, we had a little pitch on what, what are these fans? What's these, what's these frets? What's going on there? And then we'd have this 45-second thing that we say that explains 90% of what we need to say okay, yep. in a concise, easy to, to – you know, it's, it's our little pitch, right? Little little um, technical sales pitch. Um, and I answered that question hundreds of times. Uh-huh. And at the end of each night, my friend Sully, who, who was on the podcast uh, not long ago too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talked to Sully, yeah. We would revise this little pitch to try and get it down in time to make it more efficient because there was that many people asking. I okay. mean, we're not talking, you know, we're talking about hundreds of times a day. Yeah, wow. This year at NAM, there was seven of us on the stand. Yeah. And we, on the Sunday night, I realized, hey, wait, I haven't answered that question this whole entire time. Nobody has asked me, what, wow. what are everyone's, these, what's going on with these frets? Everyone's getting And that. so I asked, I asked the staff and, and Sally, how many people have been asked? Oh, you've got to ask twice. You've got to ask once. We, six six people asked that question at NAM this year, yeah, wow. whereas it was hundreds last year, and it's just become a become a a, a genuine thing now. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. It's you know, I just wish I had the painting on it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when did you realise that you needed to angle the bridge? I find that really interesting. Oh, straight straight away. Oh, okay, because okay. If everything fans, I mean. When you're doing your repair work, you know that a bridge has to be located in a certain spot or the saddles don't line up and that kind of stuff. And when I designed the first one, I didn't even think of what anyone else had done because I hadn't seen the Novak stuff. Okay. Um, and I just thought of it like a piano. And I know what that baritone that was 27 and a half inch sounded like and I wanted that bass. Okay, so if we angle the nut two inches, you wouldn't be able to play that guitar. But if okay. we bring it back a bit... And the angle the other side, well, maybe I'll have to make a bridge for that, you know? Yeah. But we'll make it work. And then from there, it's like, right, how much angle do we make it even? And then I realized, why don't I just look at guitarists and see how they hold their guitar? So I did. I go on Google and we look at photos of guitars and I had clients come in and 
I'd ask them to stand there and hold an E chord. And I worked out, okay, the ninth fret is where their hand is naturally hanging when they're not playing. So that would be the most logical place to have the normal straight fret because their, their arm is on a straight line. It, their, their wrist doesn't need to bend. So if we keep that the middle point and then move the angles either side, even them out so that they're, they're right, what happens there? Okay, look at the bridge. What angle can we go on the bridge of the nut? We can do whatever we want, but look at the angle that your forearm comes down in on a strap and the Les Paul, etc. Look at that angle. That's coming down at a certain angle. So if we make the bridge that same angle, that way you don't have to bend your wrist back when you're palm muting. Okay. okay, yeah, cool. Wouldn't that be more natural? We've learnt, If we just considered that we've learned to play guitars that weren't designed for humans, they were just designed, and we look at it from a perspective of where is your hands, what angle is your arm coming in, where's the natural resting position of your, your left hand, your, your fretting hand, yeah, yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. And then from there, it just worked itself out. I mean, that's a year of going back and thinking about okay. it and drawing something else and making a note and, and leaving it for another week and coming back and going, yeah, that was a silly idea and go okay. and do this instead. Yeah. But it, it, when, it, when you, you tie it all together, it just works. That's awesome. And what you've got now is you've got guitar makers that are, and, you know, I'm not not knocking them but they look at a multi-scale they go right well we're going to do less of a fan so that it's more suitable for people who have never tried one mm -hmm. so they do less of a fan to the point where it's not worth having and or they'll not consider where the neutral fret needs to be okay and the neutral fret on our guitars is ninth and that doesn't mean it's suitable for uh, an ibanez or a kiesel or any other brand because where we put our strap buttons in relation to the neck, the ninth fret works for us. Okay. And if we do a different model and a diff different design, then maybe that neutral fret that's straight needs to move. Uh, if it was a flying V, the neck's going to hang out in a different spot. So maybe the the neutral fret needs to come down to the 12th, you okay. know? Yep, yep. Um, yeah. So all of that kind of stuff we, we already built into it. And with years of not getting any sales, that gives you lots of times to revise something because <laughs> it's not right. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Awesome. Uh, and then when with the first one we got built, we haven't changed that layout since. Okay. It, it was it was perfect the just first time. Cool. Yeah, it just worked, you know. But hundreds of hours of thinking about it. Yeah. You know? Cool. <clears throat> Love it. Hey, tell me about the um are you calling it the semi custom shop line? The the uh the new thing you've got going okay. on with Grover right. Jackson. Yeah, so what okay, so Grover if it wasn't for Grover Jackson or Paul Reed Smith, I probably wouldn't have thought about making guitars for a living. Uh -huh. Like, you know, like most guitarists, they're just there. But Grover, you know, everything they made was custom just about, or at least had custom paint jobs, yeah, you know? Yeah, cool. And Randy Rhodes is my hero, and there's always the story about he, he needed this special guitar, and he went to this guy, and they designed it, and he made it, and I'm like, oh, man, that'd be a cool job, you know? And, of course, Paul Reed Smith, I remember seeing my first... Reed Smith with the birds and, and I'm just like blowing away uh -huh. <laughs> no idea what it what is this what That's is this cool. thing man it's, it's just like art um so of course I've, I've always looked up to those two guys and um it was actually Sully from Sully Guitars that introduced me to Grover okay and yep. he he met Grover through a project that he was doing years and years ago um in regards to the re-releasing some Jackson models and um he, he sort of talked to Grover and organized that for a, for a forum that we're doing a group by, but um, got to meet Grover and talk stuff and we got along really well and, and it was really cool to meet this guy that, you know, yeah. I've always looked up to and, and it was it was a bit crazy because I still have like a poster of Grover uh -huh. <laughs> in, in my little collection of memorabilia or whatever. Nice. And, and I've got my old catalogs, my Jackson catalogs. And of course, Grover's got dark hair and he's... You know, it was 1988, right? Yeah, sure. And of course, I don't think, oh yeah, that's 30 years ago. I just think that's Grover Jackson. And of course, when I met him, I'm like, oh, he's like my granddad. <laughs> it's like, that was 30, I'm still remembering him from 30 years ago, yeah, sure. you know? Um, but yeah, he was he was such a cool guy. And he is still a guitar nerd, which I love. Because um, a lot of the older 
guitar makers I've met just they they're not guitar nerds. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Like he still is. You know, he still wants to talk to you about guitars. Great. Um, and yeah, because he, he showed us his shop, and I noticed that. Hey, man, like I noticed there's all these other guitars here. What, what's going on there? Oh, we make we we do OEM for a lot of a lot of brands, you know, and and we're doing all of the Washburn customs and and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm like, that'd be really cool if we could do something like that. And he's like, yep, cool. What do you want done? Wow. You know. And cool, it was man. as easy as that. Yeah, and of right. course, Sully at the same time was was thinking the same thing because mm-hmm. Sully and I are pretty much just like brothers from another mother. We have the same interests. <laughs> Everything is the same. We started in the same year okay. building guitars. Wow, cool. um, he contacted me to contract work to me back in 2005. And, yeah. you know, uh, I, I we, we've always sort of, followed each other and been friends i guess um through multiple different hobbies and stuff that we've just seemed to find each other in yeah so i've known sully even before the guitar making days and and we both just said this is a no-brainer we get to work with this dude that we love and um how cool is that you know and what an amazing thing to be, have an opportunity to do and of course, Sully was ready to move forwards on it first, so he's he's had his first production come out, and it's been and they're, yeah. they're fantastic guitars. They're yeah, really really nice. They're, they look amazing. They're beautiful, man. Yeah, they're really nice. Um, and and we want to do the same thing. Um, the only problem is, um, we just don't know what to do. So we were going to do our normal hype machine models. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, yeah, you know what? We're doing them at a career, and we're doing them as handmade Australian stuff. Do yeah. we really need an in-between model that's not really in-between because they're still going to be up there in price? Yeah, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so do, is it really is there really much point in doing that? Or do we do, you know, ever-tuned bridges and do straight scales? Well, nobody really wants that model, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, well, what about if we did this? So we've kind of decided what we're going to do um, and it's going to be something different to what we normally do. Okay. But it's still going to have a little bit of the Ormsby flavor. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe maybe just not something that you're used to seeing from us. Okay. Um, and and we're, gonna, we're bringing a few models in this year that are like that. Cool. And I don't know if it's – I mean, people think that we're, we just make guitars for metal guys. We don't. Uh, it's just that they're the ones that get shared around the most. Yeah, okay. Um, but the – you know, I, and I love making those guitars, but I kind of want to do something different. Sure. And add to the palette, I guess. And so we're, we're bringing out some new models this year that are going to be more, uh, I don't know, less uh, over the top, I guess. Okay. Um, and, and more yeah, suitable for... Because we've got a lot of clients that would love to work with us, but they don't want a metal-looking guitar. Yeah, sure. And it's like, well, yeah, we can do it, but we're so busy with this other stuff. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? It kind of gets pushed to the back. So we decided, well, let's do it. It's, this year we're going to bring out, I think it's... Uh, we brought out the Futura model, um, and we've got uh, another three or four um, that are kind of a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more mainstream, uh-huh. but still got you can still that you can still tell they're one of ours. But okay. a guy can easily grab it and go to a gig and play the Beatles, or um, you know what I mean. It's not going to be sure. death yep. and destruction, mm-hmm. and uh, you know all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's really cool, and and, and Grover will um, will do one of those, you know. But Fantastic. with with Grover, he's got his um, he he builds all the Friedman guitars. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That has taken off for him too, which is really great. Yeah, um, they look really cool. Yeah, I mean Grover's restricted to what he can build because obviously he sold Jackson yep. back in the eighties to I think it was CMI, and yeah, then CMI yeah. sold Defender, Fender's got and of course yeah. they own. All the rights to everything to do with Grover Jackson, okay, pretty so much. Like he's dinky, he's warrior, he can't all do that it. stuff. Yeah, he can't do it. Yeah, so all of those, the roads, they've all got to be, um, basically, they've got to be shapes that are identified as Grover's guitars, but they can't look like any of Grover's guitars. Yeah, yeah. So, gotcha. um, you know, and he likes doing the OEM stuff. Um, I, I think he's at that point in life where he's done trying to push his own stuff constantly and sure. it's nice to work with new fresh people that have big ideas and uh, that he can facilitate and i generally think that that's he, he's loving it you know yeah cool. um 
he keeps uh, you know the 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 guitars shipping out and uh yeah he's, he's got a really really nice setup um it's really cool to to have experienced that and got to meet him and and soon to be working with him that's huge so, man that's awesome man mm. that sounds really exciting really look forward to seeing when that yeah. comes together that's cool. yeah yeah i think it'll be pretty cool i mean they'll, they'll be uh so they won't be like our you know people can order whatever they want from us really if you want a particular wood or two mil shaved off here or whatever uh-huh. um but the the grover stuff will be more standardized so we'll have okay you've got this shape neck or maybe two different shapes plus these neck woods plus these body woods plus these tops and it'd be very limited um because he isn't a custom shop you know they don't do one-offs they they do runs of guitars that are all identical and our stuff is going to be a pain for him to do when three people want red stain but over two different types of wood and Uh sure you know so we say it's a semi-custom in the way that you can have a guitar that's unique yep. but there's absolutely that chance that two or three guitars out of every 15 might be identical specs sure because sure. they will be fairly limited but you know we'll see how we go and and um yeah no no fixed release date yet we were planning to do it for last year but yeah uh time just got ahead of us and the gdr yeah, sure. range really took off so yeah we kind of just put it back and, and also on grover's side the friedman deal Yep. has been yep. significantly bigger than what they they expected so yeah cool uh we thought we'd just give him some breathing space you know and we've always got time it's no rush um yeah so hopefully we'll see them well i guess nam maybe before okay so you're saying winter nam again or the summer uh, NAM? no it's summer nam i mean i'm saying summer nam because it's a year away and it's like gives me an opportunity to yeah. get my finger out of my butt and actually go and do it but, <laughs> and it's summer yeah, for us I mean, here it, in australia too. yeah I'm but it's 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 going to happen. It's just um, where do we fit it in the schedule? And we have a lot more time this year compared to last year. The yeah, Korean cool. stuff is all sorted now. Yeah, awesome. we don't we don't have the massive amount of workload with that that we had in the first year or two. Yeah, so or it's year and a half. Kind of up and going. That's great. Yeah, you know, it, it's come down to tiny little things now that we just need to, you know, talk to them about. Everything's all set now. It's 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 almost at the point where, you know. We we don't have to do much at all there, um, so that frees us up to do the next lot of things that we want to do. Yeah, so, cool. I'm one of those throwers, so. Fantastic, man. Well, Perry, thanks so much for your time. So no worries. I feel like we've just raced over the whole Ormsby career very quickly. We'll have to have you back on the show, especially cool. Yeah, maybe no when worries. the Anytime. maybe when the Jackson stuff's getting close to. Yeah, when sure, we can talk man. a bit more about the designs, maybe or something. But um, man, thank you so much. And no um, worries. So the best place for people to find you is you're all over social media, um, Facebook, yep. Instagram. Facebook. Yep, we've got Facebook, just Ormsby Guitars, facebook.com, Ormsby Guitars. Uh, same thing on Instagram. And um, obviously the website, we've got the new uh, 3D uh, guitar design tool. Yeah, that, that looks like fun. Out. That's, that's on your website it, itself. It's that's cool. um, definitely um, a big time waster if you're like <laughs> me and you didn't like your job, um, go in there and yeah. – yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. It's just beta version one, and uh-huh. uh, we've got a lot more stuff planned to be released with that. But you got to kind of you can continually upgrade something and never release it, or you can just get it out there and take feedback. And yeah, yeah, um, believe it's the first three D guitar designer on the web. Okay, wow. So yeah, but anyway, check that out. Definitely and, um, good to check out. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, thanks again, Perry. And yeah, definitely let's um, let's catch up again. No worries. Okay. Cheers, man. Thanks, mate. See ya. Bye now. Bye. All right. There's my interview with Perry Ormsby. Man, I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed speaking to Perry. And, man, obviously a guy that's always thinking about, okay, how can I improve this or how can I grow this side of the business or, yeah, just just very forward-thinking guy. And I, I, I find that really inspiring. Now, after the interview, Perry told me a few more of the spec ideas he has for those Jackson Ormsby collaboration guitars. So sounds really, really cool. So keep an eye on all of the Ormsby social media stuff for, for details as they get released. All right, well, thank you so much for joining me today on the Guitar Speak podcast. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, 
or Instagram, or if you go to guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com, you can find all of our episodes there as well. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, um, or pretty much wherever podcasts are. I'm finding that you can find us if you search for us. So hopefully we can work with whatever format you like for your podcast listening. All right. Well, hey, thanks again for joining me. I will catch you next time. My name's Matt Wakeling, and thanks for listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Bye now. <laughs>